Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello again, Trojan fans. This is your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are doing a Trojan Blast, which is a little version of the Peristyle podcast. And today we're going to focus the Trojan Blast solely on recruiting USC. had a huge victory up in Eugene, and our podcast reflected that. We had Dan Weber, Coach Harvey Hyde, pretty much took up the whole show talking about the team, but there were a lot of recruiting questions, so we decided to break out a separate podcast this week, just talking about USC recruiting, and who better to talk about USC recruiting with than USCfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Thank you for joining us on the show, Gerard. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Uh, definitely a big win for USC this weekend. A lot of people are anxious to hear what kind of recruiting impact it had, and you know, some of these things take time to kind of. Uh, gather you know what kind of impact it had it just definitely comes in waves a little bit and um you know it takes time to get from the recruits to word of mouth to where it gets to us but you know we've been checking in this week early in the week just to kind of see what they have to say all right well we, we got a lot of questions so we'll get to that and we'll kind of get your analysis throughout the show of what's going on with usc recruiting and let's see let's go we got aaron First up, he says, thank you and love the podcast. Thanks very much, Aaron. We appreciate that. Oh, and if uh, for questions, I forgot, um, you can send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. We did get some extra emails after Monday's show. I told people we're going to do a separate podcast just for recruiting. So we did get some extra late ones came in. We'll try to get to all of those questions uh, and do that. But here we go. Let's uh, First question from Aaron. With this huge win over Oregon, I wanted to get some perspective from a recruiting standpoint. Okay, that makes sense. That's the whole point of our show. He says, how come USC recruits aren't knocking down the door to commit? It just seems like an exciting time to be a Trojan and to be part of something special. So so what's going on, Gerard? Why aren't they uh, knocking down the door? It's not all about the recruits trying to knock down the door so much as it is the door itself. And right now, USC's got to have a very thick security door. They want to make sure they know exactly who's committing. They want to know how solid those commitments are. They've still got some commitments taking visits. Uh, I think it's just one of those things when you've got limited scholarships and you've got to hit that specific number for this class, you just want to know exactly what guys you really want, what's happening with injuries for some of the recruits that you have committed. We've seen this past season really a few guys already have some injuries, there's now kind of some talk, certain kids, maybe they're not going to get those scholarship offers. You know, we talked a little bit about this back in the spring with that kind of two-way street. A lot of commits early in the year, they talk about taking visits and still really kind of keeping the process open, still exploring their options. Uh, that's kind of a famous, you know, little catchphrase for recruiting anymore. Every kid seems to commit, and then two weeks later, but I'm keeping my options open. <laughs> I'm going to take all five of my official visits. And a lot of fans feel like, well, you know, if those kids are going to keep those options open, then the school should be able to keep their options open. Well, USC may actually exercise, exercise that concept this year. And some of these guys that are talking about taking official visits and looking at other schools, 
you know, you got an injury all of a sudden, well, that verbal commitment is all of a sudden followed by a verbal scholarship offer that may not be there. So, you know, right now we're kind of in a, in a period of flux with who's really a part of the class, are some of these guys, you know, really committed? Are some of these guys, do they really have scholarship offers? You know, we can talk a little bit more in this in detail after we get through the questions because i got a feeling we're probably going to have some questions on this, guys like Kelvin York, Jadon Mickens. So when you're talking about, you know, why aren't guys beating down the door, if this was a class of 25, if USC had a full class, I think you'd see some more commitments. I think you'd see some more statements by Lane Kiffin and the coaching staff when it comes to recruiting. But right now they're doing their due diligence. They're really kind of trying to scrutinize the class that they have right now, evaluate evaluate it, and then evaluate what kind of numbers they can add in on top of it. So, you know, a lot of these official visits that we're going to see are all after the year. There's not a lot of guys that have come in during the season. So that's another part of it. You know, they want to kind of bring in some of these out-of-state recruits and some of these, you know, bigger names. It doesn't hurt them to do that, and especially when, you know, really USC gets to kind of sit back and do nothing but recruiting after the UCLA game. So that's really big. And, you know, you've got the new facilities. You've got a lot going on with USC this offseason, and I think the coaches really want to take advantage of that. So I think it's not so much about the recruits trying to bang down the door. It's that, you know, that door's shut and it's locked right now, and it's going to be USC that opens it. All right. Makes sense. And, uh, Aaron, thanks for that question. We have a uh, voicemail question, too. This one came in after the podcast. If you want to leave us a voicemail for any of our podcast shows, it's 206 888-6755 888-6755 is the number. Just call that and leave a voicemail. Try to leave a brief voicemail. Uh, if they go on longer you know, than 45 seconds or so, it's kind of hard to play on the air. But here's a voicemail question for you, Gerard. Hi, this question is for Gerard Martinez. My name is Frank from Phoenix, Arizona. And my question is about Ellis uh, McCarthy. I want to know what his status is on USC. Is it USC still uh, the school he wishes to go to, or uh, is it kind of like last of the better schools? Uh, thank you very much. Ellis McCarthy. That's uh, definitely probably one of, if not the biggest recruit on USC's board right now. A lot of people want to know, where's Ellis McCarthy on the recruiting board? Where's Ellis McCarthy's interest with USC? 6'5", 311-pound, defensive tackle from Morovia, California, five-star Army All-American. Not a lot's going on with Ellis McCarthy right now. He's taken one official visit. That was to Oregon. Loved it. Really likes Oregon. Put Oregon up there. This is number one kind of sort of with Cal and USC. A lot of people reported that, that Oregon was his sole number one. When I talk to him, every time I talk to him, and I probably talk to him more than anybody else, it really wasn't just Oregon. He, he still liked Cal, he still liked USC. Talked to him a couple weeks ago. He said now it was more of a USC-Oregon battle. Those were his top schools. I think he still really likes Oregon. I have not talked to him directly uh, since the USC-Oregon game. You know, I'm sure I'll talk to him or you know, talk to some sources that talk to him and try to get you know, some more feedback about that game. He's really scheduled to be in the Coliseum for the UCLA game, that will be significant. It will be significant to have him on an unofficial, unofficial visit. This won't be an official visit. This will be an unofficial visit. So he'll be down on his own dime. And, you know, to get his family on campus, and just another kind of you know, get around the coaches, get around the team, get around that atmosphere. It should be, you know, pretty lively, I think, this weekend. UCLA has got a lot to play for right now. I mean, even though they've got a really – 
pretty mediocre, if not below average record, and they haven't really played well this season, I mean, they have a chance to actually go to the conference championship game, as crazy as that sounds. So, you know, the powder blue may be out in force. Trojan fans are obviously going to be out in force. I mean, if you guys aren't at the Coliseum after the way the team played up in Oregon, uh, you know, I don't know if you call yourself fans or what, but I mean, they, you know, the, the, the house should be packed with at least Trojan fans. We'll see if any UCLA fans take up some tickets, but it should be a good atmosphere. So, you know, it's going to be another one of those weekends where you see a lot of unofficial visits and USC focusing on those local recruits, guys like Kevon Seymour and, like I said, Ellis McCarthy, probably the two biggest local guys they have to recruit right now. So, you know, he's still looking at USC. He still likes USC. I think, you know, staying close to home is still definitely in USC's favor. Um, you know, there, there, there are some things that are in USC's favor, and then there's some things that are in Oregon's favor. I think right now there's just not enough going on. Um, there's not enough impact for him. It's definitely going to start coming out to some more official visits. You know, he'll go up to Cal. He will go to USC. Um, you know, he may go to Arizona State, but he's going to probably stay on the West Coast Pac-10. We'll see if UCLA can get into it. Obviously, if UCLA can beat USC this weekend, then all of a sudden they jump back into it. A lot of people want to kind of cast them away. As, oh, there's no way they don't have a shot. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they win this weekend. And tell you what, they'll have a shot real quick with Alex McCarthy. So, you know, SC obviously doesn't want that to happen, and they want to continue to put a good impression in front of him. So um, that's kind of where it stands. Right now it's really not much of a difference, not much change with him. I don't think you're going to see much change with him until you start to get into January, and he still starts to take some more of these official visits that he's got scheduled later in the year. Okay. Uh, thanks for that one. Out of, we got a question from Arizona. It's nice. and We, we got some international questions, Gerard. We had some in the podcast on Monday, we have one. We want him here. What? Excuse me. We have one here as well. If I can spit that out. Uh, this one's from Pat, though. He doesn't say say where he's from, and it's referring to your article where you talked to some different recruits after the Oregon game to get the reaction, and you had talked to Jordan Simmons, and you asked him about the impact that Saturday's win had on players like Alice McCarthy, Kevon Seymour, Andres Pete, and Simmons said. Uh, if USC pulls out black jerseys for the UCLA game, we've got them wrapped up. Uh, that's what uh, Simmons said. Pat wants to know uh, what what that means. And just to be clear, Lane Kiffin said on his conference call, and apparently he said it to a group of alumni today for that Monday morning quarterback, that uh, it's not about hype. Uh, it's about work. And that he doesn't want to do any kind of... Uh, kind of quirky things like that, any kind of gimmicky things. So at least that's what he's saying. Of course, they could come out and do something else, but that's kind of what's going on. But what did uh, what did Jordan Simmons mean by that, you think? Well, Jordan Simmons created World War Three on the peristyle with that comment. It seems like there's a civil war between Trojan fans, those that are maybe of the younger generations that like the idea of alternate uniforms and black on black, and then those who believe that, you know, the more traditional look and, and staying with, you know, the colors that USC has sported for decades uh, kind of needs to serve through. And, and I guess I kind of stand somewhere in the middle, maybe more towards the traditional side. I don't like the black on black look just in general because I think it's worn out. Basically, and it was kind of kind of tongue in cheek a little bit. Jordan Simmons was just, you know, kind of saying, "Hey, you know, that's that's something that uh, if we did that, you know, we'd have them all wrapped up." I, obviously, it's not going to come down to USC wearing old black jerseys to get Ellis McCarthy, Keyvon Seymour, and Andres Pete. It's just 
that's just not – I'm sure if you, you know, pulled those guys, they would probably have that, you know, last on their list. Actually, I talked to Kevon Seymour uh, tonight, and uh, we kind of chatted about a bunch of different things about his Oregon visit. He was actually at the Oregon-USC game in Eugene this weekend as an official visitor for the Ducks. And, you know, he got to meet LeBron James, and he got to, you know, see the spectacle that went on there at Austin Stadium. And I asked him, I said, you know, what – yeah, I mean, how much does this impact you? You know, these different things that happen, you know, the NBA players and, and uh, you know, the, the, the gear and, you know, all of Oregon's uniforms. I mean, do you, do you take that into account? Is that something that, you know, you definitely think about and think, you know, this is something that I, I want in school. You know, I want to have, you know, all this equipment and, and really never have to worry about, you know, what kind of shoes I'm going to wear or what kind of, uh, you know, gear I'm going to have underneath my pads and all these other things because some kids just find it important and, and some people, argue that style over substance you know according to Seymour he thought it was cool it was he said yeah that'd be great you know to go there and have my pick of kind of whatever Nike gear you want but that's not something that's really going to impact my decision a whole lot you know he's looking at the school he's looking at the location he's looking at the education he's looking at his relationship with the coaches and the football team so he you know he, he enjoyed it he thought it was nice to look at but at the end of the day it's not going to impact his decision and I think for most kids that's pretty much how it is. And I, I don't think Oregon really puts or invests that much into that. I think that's just something to catch your eye. That's something to, to look at and go, Oh, you know, that's kind of cool. That's, you know, that's Oregon's thing. And it, and it's, you know, something that they use to kind of get their foot in the door, but then you got to follow up on it. And, and that's basically with recruiting. Uh, you hear the words comfort level always come in to, to play with a lot of these recruits. So, you know, what that means is, is a relationship that those recruits have with the coaching staff. They're feeling uh, among the student body, among the team, you know, and, and location is, is obviously a big deal. Some kids want to be close to home. Some kids kind of want to get away from home, um, you know, and, and the surroundings of the school, you know, are they comfortable with those surroundings are they used to a big city or do they want a small college town all those things change from recruit to recruit so I mean George Simmons was just kind of throwing it out there and, and I don't know if he knew the the controversy he would stir up um I kind of half think he might have I didn't really think about it at the time when I actually posted it and I actually wrote the story I didn't think it would have that much of a a reaction we we would have that much feedback on the parastyle but like i said it basically created uh world war three yeah, uh as far as you know certain people saying that uh you know that's crazy we don't need to to have any part of alternate jerseys and then other people saying hey if the kids want it if the team wants it they deserve it they should be able to, to pick whatever jerseys they want to wear so yeah um that's but, pretty much how it stands that's right if we have guys fighting over jersey colors it's better than other stuff they've been fighting about before. The team is winning now, so they're going to figure out something to fight about. Uh, the, the weird thing for me, though, is this is already a special game. This is the game where both teams get to wear home uniforms, and they've done that you know, for three years. Pete and uh, Neuhausel got together and, and decided they could do this. If UCLA comes out and all white on white, like they said, or whatever, I mean, I just I, I don't think this is the, jer- the game that you change the jerseys for. It's already been changed. You get home and home. That's what's cool about this game. I don't get the fact that you would want to do white on black. Like, what is that? I, I don't get that. Well, and that rumor has already been dispelled by Rick Neuheisel because it's, it was being reported uh, that uh, UCLA was going to come out in all white. And he said in his news conference that, no, I don't know anything about that. And he said so, he didn't know about it. He's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, I, 
don't know. We'll see. I, I, I mean, well, if if he, if they do come out in all white, I, I got to tell you, I, I think he lied to the press because he he didn't just play ignorance. I, I mean, as far as he knew, they weren't going to do it, and and you know, basically, Lane Kiffin's come across the same way and said, you know, that's that's really not something that we're we're really thinking about, and yeah. and, and I don't know that if it was anything that they've ever really discussed. Um, I don't know if George Simmons heard it from somewhere. It was just completely coming out of nowhere with it. Um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it off record, just the whole Jersey thing and, and you know, and, and alternate jerseys and what they would look like and stuff like that. And I just honestly think he was just talking and just saying, hey, you know what, that'd be, you know, a really cool thing for USC to have and it'd be another reason for these guys, you know, to, to commit. And, you know, I think all three of those guys – are seriously looking at USC. So it's just one of those, what's the straw that's going to break the camel's back? Um, I can tell you, I'll just say one of those three guys, they don't need alternate jerseys. It's just a foregone conclusion. So uh, oh. it, it's just one of those things where maybe they, you know, he felt like the other guys, you know, that would be the final push to get them over uh, the hump. You know, we beat, they beat Oregon with the all-black jerseys, and maybe USC kind of almost comes back and takes that from Oregon, um, you know, coming away from that victory. You know, I don't know. But he was just, like I said, I think some of it was just kind of tongue-in-cheek and just a ha-ha. And then, you know, like a, it just – snowballed into this entire debate which i i'm still i mean we must have had like five or six threads almost within a half an hour pop up on that and then two <laughs> of them were just monster threads like two pages within 20 minutes yeah. i'm just like wow uh, i think we just invaded austria here okay all right uh well let's we'll get off that we're gonna get back to recruiting here a little bit uh let's see if another one for gerard what recruits were they'll be will there be at the ucla game and does it do you agree that Seymour McCarthy and Bowman are the three most crucial recruits left on the USC board? Uh, last question first I'll take. I, I feel like McCarthy obviously talked about that already. Definitely Seymour, definitely, because, again, you know, it's really about that plan B. You know, if you don't get that guy, who's the plan B? Who's the next recruit that you take that can make a similar impact? I don't see that at defensive tackle. I don't see that at corner for USC. I think Ellis McCarthy is the guy at defensive tackle. Kevon Seymour is the guy at corner. Um, Joe Bowman is definitely a get. He's an early enrollee, and that adds to his value because, again, we talked about this. You know, the early enrollees, that's kind of starting to become a little more vague. It's kind of hard to figure out who's in and who's not. Um, so, I mean, he's a guy that's for sure an early enrollee. You know, the only thing is he may be more valuable at the potential of losing T.J. McDonald. Um, you know, some people are saying, oh, well, you know, T.J. McDonald's gone for sure. I've heard people just as certain that he's coming back for sure. And when it comes to that whole debate about who's leaving early, who's not, I can tell you what, most, almost everybody has no real information on that. That is always something that, you know, with, with Mark Sanchez, with Taylor Mays, I remember that whole drama soap opera that went on and everybody had an opinion everybody had an inside source at the end of the day they were ass backwards wrong about that completely i mean telling stayed and mark sanchez went and everybody had it going the other way around so i kind of take it all with a grain of salt as to who's leaving and who's not but bowman would be a bigger get obviously if tj left granted i feel like bowman 
is is not necessarily just a replacement for TJ in terms of his style. TJ's probably the better cover safety of the starters that they have. When they have Juwanza Starling in there, he's not a great cover safety. He's more a guy that comes to the line of scrimmage. He doesn't play in the middle of the field uh, necessarily really well. Uh, TJ McDonald's more of that guy. So, you know, Bowman's more like Starling in that he's a guy that you want to put around the line of scrimmage. He's incredibly aggressive. He's incredibly quick. He's a very fast player, probably maybe the fastest player in pads that I saw this year. And it's funny because that video that I put up of Gerald Bowman, uh, the ISO film, a lot of SC fans in the Peristyle didn't like it. There were some people that criticized it and thought, oh, you know, this guy doesn't really play that well. I, I think he's, you know, too undisciplined. And they had all of these kind of critiques. But I tell you, man, I, for me personally, I, I, he only played a half in that game. He didn't play in the first half. He only played in the second half for some disciplinary issues. He didn't show up to a practice, and his coaching staff basically made an example of him. He ends up being defensive player of the year in junior college. And from what I saw just in that half, he was just so lightning quick, and he was in so many plays. And he didn't have the best tackling technique, and there was some bad angles that he took here and there. But really I felt like the the, the negatives that he had shown in that game were basically teaching, teachable. Um, there were things that you know could, could be coached up and you could bring into a system and you could help him develop a little more just as a football player. But in terms of instincts and then just in terms of you know those things that you can't teach, he had those things. So definitely a, an important player for USC, but I think more so if T.J. McDonald leaves early. Um, if you're talking about you know just overall – I would slip a guy like Andres P or maybe Kyle Murphy in there uh, ahead of him just because, um, you know, I, I just, you know, obviously you just need that really that showcase left tackle. Because, again, you're talking about another guy possibly leaving early and Matt Khalil, and I think that uh, there's much more likely – uh, there's a much more likelihood that that will happen, that he will leave early uh, than TJ. Granted, I just said that nobody really knows anything about any of those guys leaving early or staying, but I think, you know, if we're putting money on it today, uh, we put money on, on Matt probably leaving and probably put money on TJ staying. Uh, and then what about the recruits for the UCLA game? going to be a long list of unofficial visitors. Um, it's going to be similar uh, to what we saw with Stanford. Uh, you know, the big guys, like I said, Ellis McCarthy is supposed to be there. That'll be big for them. Kevon Seymour is coming back. That'll be big for them. Um, you know, you'll have some underclassmen there. You have guys like uh, Sewell Cravens, 6'2", uh, 200-pound, uh, safety from uh, Marietta, who's already got a USC offer. Kylie Fitz will be there, 6'4". Uh, about 200, uh, he's about 250 pounds, 245 pound defensive end from Redlands East Valley High School. Another junior, a guy that just got an offer from UCLA, already had an offer from Boise State. He's going to be a big time player. You'll see, you know, quite a few juniors there, and you'll see some of the regular in-state guys that are usual, you know, the usual suspects. I haven't heard anything really about a guy like Andres Pete maybe taking an unofficial visit. Um, you know, the guys that are regional might take unofficial visits. Zach Banner talked about taking an official visit to USC this weekend if he didn't make the state championship game. His team did make the state championship game. They lost this past week. Don't know if he's going to make that visit or not. It, it really, to me, it sounded like if they weren't kind of out of the playoffs early on that he would kind of push his visit back later until January. He's supposed to actually – commit or at least make his decision on the college January 14th. So it won't be too late in January, but I had a feeling 
he might be a January 9th guy or, or maybe a little later on in the process. We'll kind of see how that happens. You know, maybe these guys can, you know, it's, it's early in the week, so they could still, um, you know, kind of set up a visit. But at this point, it just seems to be Noah Davis. He's a 6'4", 225-pound um, linebacker, kind of slash defensive end, committed to safety. He's from um, Leesburg, Florida. And a guy that's originally from Southern California, born in Orange County, his parents from Irvine, um, you know, obviously committed to Stanford. He's looking to get back on the West Coast, and I've talked to his mom, and I've, you know, talked to him, and definitely one of those kids you get the vibe that he, he, he would be very comfortable back on the West Coast. Kind of sounds like a California kid, you know, if that means anything. <laughs> he just sounds like, you know, a California dude, a guy that grew up next to the beach and lived in Orange County his whole life. He, he you know, and he's moved around a lot because his dad works in the government. So he's a pretty cultured kid. Um, but, you know, has already accepted into Stanford. Stanford's had a great year. Uh, I don't know if USC's got the greatest shot at him, but they're going to give it a try this weekend. And at this point, he'd be the only guy that's officially visiting USC. And USC, like I said, they, you know, they really have kind of kept those official visits during the season to a minimum. And it's not completely out of the ordinary for USC because Pete Carroll really did that uh, for most of his tenure at USC. You know, they really like to focus on the games. You saw what happened with Notre Dame, bringing in 26 guys, official visitors, and even more unofficial visitors, making that such a big game. You know, Oregon brings in, uh, you know, like five or six official visitors for the USC game, but then they had another 8, 9, 10 uh, all-star NBA players, and obviously the coaches don't have to necessarily, uh, you know, court those guys or or be involved with those guys during the week um, and during you know the off time of, of game preparation um, during the weekend like you do an official visitor. But there's still kind of distractions, and so I think USC's done a good job of limiting those distractions and making sure that on game day you're focused on the game. Uh, all right, let's see. Let's go to Jeff. Is up next. We have couple questions from him one as far as there's some uh guys that usc is in a battle with uh against stanford he said not only did stanford get killed by oregon but at a poor win against a poor cal team at home we should be looking good for these guys now the guys he's mentioned are, are some guys you've already mentioned uh, andres pete uh, murphy uh, davis and then hopefully i get his name right ifadi odenabo there you go, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually pronounced it wrong the first time I was asked about him. I thought it was Odenigbu, uh, kind of pronouncing it, you know, kind of how it's spelled, but it's Odenable. Yeah, that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, well, just as far as um, those are guys that USC is kind of fighting for Stanford, do you, do you think it puts USC in a better position now, just the way that the Trojans have finished the, the season here? Most definitely. I mean, I think that, uh, especially nationally, that's where – you make the biggest impact with those guys. I think, you know, locally, a lot of that just has to do with, you know, how hard you're recruiting a player, you know, how much attention are you paying to his recruitment, um, you know, how much you know about him and the things that he wants in a school, in uh, you, you, playing time. And there's, there's all those different factors. I think kind of like going back to talking about Oregon and their open jerseys and, and just the whole Nike thing. You know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of that style is just to catch the eye. It's to get guys that maybe don't normally know much or follow your program to kind of take note and to take interest. And then, you know, if you're USC and, and you've got such a good recruiting staff, you get those guys on an official visit, and, you know, things start to become 50-50 a lot, real quick here. Uh, a lot of players that we saw last year, guys, and, and, you know, we talk about this on the Peristyle all the time, and we talk about it on the podcast quite often as well. Andre Walker, 
Lamar Donaldson, guys that were out-of-state guys that USC didn't seem to have any kind of real edge on, you know, end up use, you know, really closing on them at the end of the year. I think last year is also another big reason why USC has kind of pushed the recruiting process, pushed a lot of the official visits towards January because they were so successful at closing it, guys, last year. Now, can they do the same this year? Well, it remains to be seen, but you're looking at a lot of those guys that you named, and those guys are going to be end up visiting in January and December. And so it's going to be one of those things. You know, USC doesn't have a bowl game they're going to have to worry about. They're, they're not going to have any kind of focus on next week coaching. So this great recruiting staff is just – they're just focused on one thing, and that's recruiting, period. And like I said, last year that was uh, – that was, it was pretty successful what they were able to do with a lot of those out-of-state recruits. So you're able to win a big game, and, you know, obviously they want to finish the season strong here with UCLA. Uh, if they're able to do that, I think it definitely makes an impact with some of these guys out of the state. Now, does it necessarily mean they're going to land all those guys or majority of those guys? No, but I think – at least a guy like, you know, I mean, you're talking about Adenabo. That's a perfect example of a guy that really wasn't thinking or talking about USC early in the year. USC starts to create a little momentum. They play well against Stanford. There's a kid that's obviously looking at West Coast schools, kind of similar to Mark Davis. He's a very articulate, very smart young man, uh, seems pretty cultured and pretty, you know, worldly about himself. He's looking at a lot of the good academic schools, Cal, Stanford, two of those schools, hey, why not go to USC because that's a school that has that academics, but it also has the football tradition as well, which Cal and Stanford really don't have, at least not at the same level. So, you know, if you start to think about that, then you go, this kid's got two Pac-10 schools on his list already. He's seriously thinking about coming out to the West Coast. He's seriously thinking about, you know, maybe I'd like to live in California. It's not just USC or that one school on the West Coast, and he's got, you know, three or four other SEC schools that he's looking at, or in his case, you know, three or four Big Ten schools he's just looking at. So it's a good thing. You know, I mean, it's a good thing for, for, for those type of players. Uh, it makes an impact, and I think, again, it, it just draws them in. You get them on that visit, and then, you know, you kind of just wait and see what happens because USC, they've had this tradition. They've had this, uh, this history of being able to turn some of these guys, you know, really down the stretch towards signing day. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Um, Jeff likes to mention three, 400 names in uh, his list of questions. So we're not going to get to all of those. Sorry about that, Jeff, but we'll try to get to more of those next time. Uh, and, I think we eventually get through all of them probably yes, I think after so. we answer all the questions from everybody else. We, right. we, end up, we overlap a lot. Yeah, we do. Uh, and, and Ed had another Ellis McCarthy one too, but uh, the specifically he wanted to know is, is Oregon really the leader? And he says, we can't lose another SoCal stud to them ducks. So Ed isn't real happy when he heard that Ellis might be leaning towards Oregon. Ellis is looking at Oregon. I don't know if I would say that they are his sole leader. Um, again, he's, he's kind of denied that. He's always kind of put them up there with other schools. And I've asked him very, you know, specifically, is Oregon your number one school? Are they your sole number one school? Or are they just one of your favorites? And he's always kind of deferred to, no, nah, they're up there with, such and such, such and such, and and at latest it's been USC and Oregon, um, and that's coming from just you know a week ago I went to go see him uh, at his senior night, 
um, when they played South Pasadena, and uh, he was actually coming down with strep throat, so it wasn't uh, his best game. But um, but he but he still talked up about USC, and he was there for that half of the Stanford game. Left at halftime, was kind of mad at himself uh, for for leaving at halftime. But he said he was just really uncomfortable sitting in those chairs, being a 300-pound guy. And uh, so you know he he left at halftime. Uh, but uh, he's expected to be back at the UCLA USC game. And, you know, he's got a great relationship with the coaching staff. Um, and I, I, like I said, I, I feel like there's definitely a lot of value for him in staying close to home. I think that that's going to be a significant part of his his decision. And, you know, it's a decision that's going to come later in the year. Uh, but it's, it's definitely one of those decisions that, you know, DeAnthony Thomas, and that's the other recruit that uh, that we're alluding to here as far as Oregon stealing another one from Southern California. I mean, that was a very, very strange recruitment. And the way that happened was very, very strange. And uh, it, it was almost reminiscent of Manti Teo, but, you know, maybe even stranger because even to this point, we've never really heard from DeAnthony Thomas why he actually picked Oregon. Uh, he's never really articulated that. And this past week, there was a lot of questions. Everybody kind of wanted to know the reasons and, and wanted to hear some answers because he's not a guy that really talks a lot and, and doesn't do a lot of interviews. And nobody's really posed that question, I think, quite a grilled him as much um, about it as this past week. And he never really still didn't have an answer as to you know, what was kind of the real reasons why, you know, the week up until signing day, I mean, he visited Oregon the the weekend before signing day, and so it was literally a basically three day period where you know he went from being all Trojan to I'm um, going to Oregon, and you know he's got friends on USC and you know Hayes Pollard who had a fantastic game and and you know after the game was kind of laughing with him along with Marcus Martin two guys that are Crenshaw alums nobody really has any answers about what happened with the Anthony Thomas so you know that I think is not necessarily the same type of uh, recruitment and it's not the same uh, layout outlook that you would put with Ellis McCarthy at this point. I think you know Ellis McCarthy has already officially visited Oregon first and foremost. Not to say he couldn't take a last minute unofficial visit to Oregon, but he's already officially visited Oregon. He's not committed anywhere. I think it's a little more above table at this point his recruitment, and that bodes well for USC. And you know they're just they're going to recruit the heck out of him. I mean right now he's got Kennedy Pola, who's his regional recruiter, and he's got Ed Ergeron, his position recruiter, both on him. And those guys both close. Those guys both have the ability to go into a house and close the deal with any recruit anywhere nationally. Uh, they have a reputation of doing so, and you know, judging from what they did last year, I don't think that's any different. You know, Kennedy Pola was kind of the guy recruiting DeAnthony Thomas as he came on the staff. Uh, but DeAnthony Thomas, the one thing he did mention this past uh, week, you know, coming up into the game, was that you know he had a really good relationship with Todd Mayer and really didn't have a really good relationship with any of the other coaches. Well, none of those other coaches had been at USC <laughs> you know, for the previous three, four years, and, and that's really when you're talking about a DeAnthony Thomas. That's how long it takes to really develop that relationship, and that's what made it so odd for him just to kind of pluck Oregon out of the air and decide to visit there and go ahead and sign there when you know they really were a big part of his recruitment uh, early on. So very strange. Um, you know, I mean, it happens every couple years where you just have a very strange uh, recruitment and and you know a kid picks a school that nobody really expects him to. So at this point, though, you know, it's not the same because Ellis McCarthy, well. 
you know, nobody really knows where he's going to go at this point. So we're just going to have to see how that kind of shakes out. Okay. Uh, let's see. Philip had a question for you. If all the high-profile high juniors come back to school next year, how would that affect the amount of recruits US, USC could bring in in this class? Well, it would, it would affect the overall 75 limit that USC is playing with. <laughs> so it definitely affects the numbers. Um, and, and that's, again, kind of part of this reason that USC is trying to be very careful about how many commitments they take and, and who they take and, and where they are numbers-wise because they really don't know until January what's going to happen with Matt Barkley. We talked about this on the live show uh, just the other week and the week before. You know, what happens with USC if Matt Barkley leaves? And, and, and do they recruit a quarterback in this class? Who transfers? Is there a transfer? Uh, you know, and if that transfer happens, it probably happens, you know, later – next summer maybe, or, or after spring ball when a starter's named. It's really just hard to figure out, you know, kind of that whole angle as to what's going to unfold if Matt Barkley does leave. If he comes back, things are actually a little more settled because you kind of have everybody staggered. You still have those redshirt freshmen coming back. Uh, you know, Jesse Scroggins is probably still the number two. I don't think he leaves – uh, next year, I think he's still going to wait and kind of see what Matt Barkley does. And and when he well, he knows he's going to leave, you know, to being a senior. So he's going to wait to see if he can get his shot, you know, the year after to be able to be the starter. So everything kind of is on pause at that point. But if Matt Barkley leaves early, I mean, it, it could end up being one of these things where you lose Matt Barkley, obviously, but then you lose maybe one of those redshirt freshmen to a, to a transfer, and then. You know, very possibly, maybe you lose Jesse Scroggins on top of it because all of a sudden you've got a redshirt freshman starting and you've got Jesse Scroggins, who's a redshirt sophomore. Well, does he want to stick around as a redshirt sophomore when the starting job has been given to a redshirt freshman? All of a sudden you go from four quarterbacks to one quarterback. So it's 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 hard, and I know SC fans don't even want to go there with it, but it's hard to really gauge what's going to happen, and that's why you know one of the top recruits that Glenn Kiffin's after this year is actually Matt Barkley and T.J. McDonald and the guys that are on the staff or on the roster right now. They've got to figure out what's going to happen with those guys before they can really start to go gun home and bring in all these recruitments, uh, all these uh, commitments, you know, just based on how they played and guys being excited about the program at this point. Okay. Uh, let's see. we got Amir in Sherman Oaks, and he's – Amir Carlisle? No, it's not Amir Carlisle. Sorry. Oh. It's a different Amir, and he lives in Sherman Oaks. He's not from NorCal. He's in the Valley. Uh, he says, wow, I just saw a video wow. of Nelson Aguilar, and he's dynamite. The kid cuts without effort, is electric, and so smooth on the offensive side of the ball. He needs to play on offense. Where does the SC coaching staff have him playing? Where are they recruiting him for? I think it'd be unreal as a running back wide receiver combo guy, kind of like they're trying to do with Farmer. What are our chances to land him? And just so everyone knows, Gerard absolutely loves what are the chances to get this? <laughs> okay, he doesn't like those kind of questions. But I, I jump in it. I jump in the question, uh, and it, piece, it keeps my baby draft. Um, yeah, the chances are uh, that we don't know what's going to happen with him until he visits USC, and that should be probably sometime in late January. Uh, as far as his position, as far as where he plays, uh, 
he is being recruited as a receiver. He did uh, perform as a receiver at the Rising Stars camp last summer, which was significant. I mean, we talked about it quite a bit. Um, it's kind of a big deal because there's a lot of people who look at him and say, oh, he could be a safety, um, he could be a running back, uh, but USC likes him as a receiver. And, and he's kind of got you know, some of those more key sleep qualities as, as an athlete that just kind of does a lot of great things. And, and there's a lot of people that kind of want him at a lot of different positions, and that's always good. And he's a very smart, very smart young man, and he has a lot of work ethic. So, you know, that there's, there's a lot going for him and just the intangibles, you know, not just necessarily the measurables that he has, but the intangibles, just being a really cerebral uh, kid, that kid that you probably bring into a program and can make an impact immediately just because he's going to catch on immediately. He's, he's probably going to get the playbook really fast, and he's not going to have issues with that. That's sometimes an overlooked thing when you're talking about true freshmen making an impact. Uh, now, with USC's chances, they're pretty good. Um, we've talked about it in the war room, and I won't give too much away as to what we've discussed in the war room. And if you've subscribed, then you can go to the war room and actually pull up all the Nelson Aguilar info from, you know, every other week that we talk about them. Um, but, uh, but I, I mean, it's good. Obviously, you've got those connections to Tampa with Monty and with Lane Kiffin. I think those have been huge. They've known about Nelson Aguilar for a long time. They've got good relationship with the coaching staff at Berkeley Prep, a high school that he goes to. Um, they've just got good relations with a lot of the people in the Tampa area. And, and I think, you know, again, Bonnie, just, he just goes back in Tampa, and it's a name that's revered in Tampa. So they've got some pull there. And, you know, they've, they've been able, again, brought him out to USC the last two years unofficially for camps. And that's, again, very significant. So, you know, kind of reminds me a little of the Joe McKnight recruitment. There's some of that going on there. Um, but, you know, I've also heard that his parents really want to keep him in Florida, want to keep him close to home. And so that's going to be something that USC's got to fight against. So uh, there's, there's a lot of working out there. Uh, you got to kind of look and project, I think, after he takes that official visit to USC. You know, he's not saying a lot about any school. I mean, he loves every school right now. He's pretty savvy kid politically correct answers. I love Florida. Florida's great. You know, Coach Boom is the greatest ever. And then he goes to Miami. It's like, oh, the U. I can't imagine uh, not playing for the U, you know, that they have so many NFL players. And, you know, then he goes to Central Florida. And it's like, oh, my gosh, uh, what am I doing here? But, you know, anyways, no, I'm kidding. No, no <laughs> night fans get mad. Um, but anyways, but no, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's kind of got that thing where he can kind of say a lot of good things about every team, Notre Dame. There's a lot of schools that he's checked out. So it's really got to be, you know, what happens after that SC visit. I got a feeling that once he visits USC, we'll start to hear things about how that visit went, regardless of what he says uh, publicly. I mean, you know, sure he'll have great things to say about SC publicly, but you kind of want to hear a little bit of the on the low uh, what's going on. And, you know, maybe even it'll come through in some Twitter, a lot of uh, Twitter uh, dialogue going on between Nelson Aguilar and uh, Robert Woods and, and Nelson Aguilar and Marquis Lee. He seems to, to like those guys. And he's, you know, I mean, recruiting him as a receiver, like I said, there's some similarities that can be drawn between Nelson Aguilar and those two receivers that USC has already. Smart kids, uh, hard workers, um, kind of do a lot of those things away from the ball that you really like to see in receivers. Um, and, you know, kind of similar in terms of build, you know, that 6'1", 180, 185 pounds, um, and kind of lanky. Now, granted, Robert Woods and Marquis Lee, both track guys, and I think that's going to be the one question about Aguilar. He doesn't have any really great track times. Um, his 40 time is kind of in that 4'6 range. Uh, kind of have to see if he's 
you know, football fast if he can kind of turn it on and, and use his speed like the Marquis Lee and Robert Woods have. Because obviously that vertical threat has completely changed UNC's offense from, you know, just, you know, this year, even last year you saw it at the beginning of the year, kind of went away towards the end of the year. But, you know, this year you've seen it so much where they could stretch the field. You have to have that with that play-action offense. When you've got a pro offense that you'd like to run out of the eye formation, you got to get north and south on people. And that was really, you know, I guess Oregon, not to take Dan's thunder here and go into team stuff, but, you know, that was really where USC started to really come alive offensively when they stopped trying to go horizontal with the screen passes and the little, you know, flat passes and started getting upfield against Oregon. And you got to have to do that. When you've got a good run game and you've got some power running backs and some guys who hit the hole hard, you know, those, those linebackers and those safeties, you know, they got to come up towards the line of scrimmage to be able to stop that. You've got to have receivers that can get vertical and get behind those guys. And USC's got them. USC hasn't had them for a long time. Damian Williams, uh, you know, Dwayne Jarrett, there are a lot of good receivers that they've had that just have not had that extra gear to separate deep. And right now you're seeing that from Robert Woods and Marquise Lee. And, you know, USC would love to bring in maybe another receiver that could do that. All right, Gerard. Well, hey, uh, we, got, we got a bunch of questions left. We have to pick up the pace a little bit. I never thought just doing a whole recruiting center. We've already gone 45 minutes. Well, I've been taking my time mumbling and babbling <laughs> on about Alice McCarthy. So, hey, let's do rapid fire. Well, let's we just, can do let's try can... to rapid fire some of these. All right. Uh, All right. One more from Amir. When, uh, this is an interesting question. When does Eric Armstead have to make his choice by since he's an early enrollee? So if he ends up being an early enrollee, when is the drop-dead date for that? December. He's got, he's got to have that choice by December. And that's if he's going to be an early enrollee. Talking to his father recently, he's, he's, he's got to get some classes to do that. And it does, it's not a for sure thing right now. So, and it might be better for him, you know, if he decides he's not going to USC to just kind of let the process go and take some more visits in January and not try to cram everything in uh, before December. So well, it's not 100% certain that he's going to be an early enrollee, uh, but he has to know for sure if he's going to be an early enrollee by early December. He's got to, he's got to know. You know, It's like December 15th, I think it is. December. Okay. Uh, let's see. We have a question from Denmark. And I apologize. I, I don't seem to have written down his name anywhere, but it's the, the email. Is it started, Lars Ulrich? I don't think it was, but uh, his, okay. it says huge Saturday night. The game was 515 in the morning in Denmark. And when the game ended against Oregon, but I couldn't sleep until eight. Too much adrenaline. I've been an SC fan for eight years and I'm a huge fan of the podcast, especially Gerard. So Gerard, this, he must be loving this one. Uh, back to the point. He has some recruiting questions. Three of them. The first two we pretty much talked about, uh, with juniors coming back, chances with different guys. And then um, the second one, he's looking at all the committed recruits for next year. It's pretty solid everywhere except the offensive tackle and defensive tackle. So he talks about some of the important guys like Murphy, Pete, Banner, McCarthy, stuff like that, guys we had mentioned. Uh, and his third one, uh, he says, looking historically at USC recruiting, We've been recruiting almost every position well and developed NFL talent all over, except for one position, cornerback. Uh, we've had big recruits like T.J. Bryant, Sharice Wright, Patrick Hall, Kevin Thomas, but none of them have really panned out. The best SC corner in the last 10 years probably been Terrell Thomas. Why can't we recruit, develop cornerbacks? Great job, and go Trojans. Well, the last question I'll, I'll take, um, the corner is, 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 is a tricky position, it's a tricky position in recruiting because a lot of times you're recruiting a position that 
a player's playing in high school that's not corner, you tend to have your cornerbacks playing quarterback, playing receiver, playing running back, safety. You have them playing all over the field because corner is kind of a useless position in high school. You're not playing against a lot of offenses that are going to throw the ball. And if they're even going to throw the ball, then they're just not going to throw the ball to that side of the field if that player is that good. So really, if you're a high school coach, you want your best athletes at positions that can make an impact. And usually that's not corner. So it's kind of you got to really project the corner. And I think USC's kind of overlooked some guys. You get enamored with maybe a T.J. Bryant that's, you know, from Florida and there's all this hype and he's this guy that's, you know, from Tallahassee Lincoln and they had all these great players, uh, all these five-star recruits in years previous. And you kind of get sucked into that and, and overlook, you know, guys like Antoine Kaysen, you know, and, and some of the local guys that have come out. You know, California has actually produced – more NFL defensive backs in the last six, seven years than any other state. And you would think, oh, Florida's got to be that, that state that recruit, you know, has all the defensive backs, but it's really not. It's, it's, you, it's California. So USC, you know, has, is, I think you, you have to kind of take a step back a little bit and make sure that you know, just because this guy is not looking like the next Deion Sanders in, in high school, uh, that he can't develop into being a really good all-conference you know, type player that could end up being in the NFL. Um, so I think, you know, that's maybe one of the reasons. Um, you know, he's had some pretty good corners. I mean, they've had guys, you know, Kevin Tommy's kind of throw him under the bus there, but Kevin Thomas is still playing in the league, and I think if you're playing in the league, you're pretty damn good. I mean, obviously... Sharice Wright's on the Chargers, too. Say that again? Sharice Wright's playing with the Chargers. Sharice Wright's playing with the Chargers, and Eric Wright is a starter with uh, the the Cleveland Browns. A lot of people forget about Eric Wright uh, because he got suspended and kicked out of USC, but quite frankly, I think he was actually the best quarterback that USC had under Pete Carroll. I I think he was better than Terrell Thomas. I think he was better than any of the cornerbacks that uh, they had, and it was unfortunate that he couldn't finish his career at USC, but he was fantastic at USC, the the little bit he played as a sophomore in that national championship game. I mean, at that point, he was already, I think, just the best corner that they already that they had, basically, that they still had up until this point. Sharice Wright was very good. He had some injury problems. I think that was kind of the thing that, that maybe, you know, took a little shine off his career. And obviously, you know, that the 2009 season, 2010, defensively, they didn't play very well. So a lot of people kind of look at that and go, eh, yeah, you know, Sharice Wright wasn't maybe as good as he was built up to be. So, you know, it's, it's not a position that, you know, they, they've traditionally done a whole lot at. But uh, I don't necessarily know that that's not because the talent's not there in Southern California. I, I think there's just too many guys that end up at Arizona and Boise State that end up in the NFL. Uh, you just got to do your homework and do your diligence and not necessarily get sucked in with the four- and five-star guys that uh, everybody's enamored with nationally. Uh, okay, let's see. We also have from Lewis and Huntington Beach. This is interesting. Of the three offensive tackles, Pete Murphy and Banner, which one is USC most likely to get a commitment from? Banner. Next question. You went non-rapid fire, and then you went complete rapid fire. Okay, so Banner. Well, you kind of sucked me in with the long-ass question, and the guys from Denmark, and you're throwing accents in there, and all kinds of stuff. I got bamboozled. I I didn't know we were back on rapid fire. Okay, rapid fire. (laughs) Okay, we're almost done now, but uh, let's see. JD and DC. Uh, if Kiffin passes on Pinner uh, because of his injury, what is plan B at running back? Do we go, are we okay with York? Uh, what do you think about the running back situation? 
now you're trying to trick me again. Okay, Pinner, Pinner had an ankle injury, but he's back from the I'm ankle injury. I'm trying to trick you. I'm just saying. This is the question. That shouldn't be. <laughs> you should. You know, I just I'm getting I'm getting misdirection here. I feel like I'm playing against Oregon. Okay, so uh, Pinner had an ankle injury, but he's back and he's okay. I don't. From what I know, I don't think there's any issues with him health wise and USC taking him. Um, I can follow up on that, but I think York is the guy that. Uh, he's actually asking about as far as where he falls in because he has a knee injury. He has an MCL tear, a meniscus tear, and he tore it against Pasadena City College. Uh, I think he played him early October. And it was actually an injury that may have happened even earlier in the season. Saw him play against Santa Ana College, uh, which was uh, first game of the season. He actually hurt that same knee in that game and played on it. Meniscus tears are not necessarily really super serious. So, you know, talking to York, I was kind of surprised when he started to talk like, you know, he wasn't sure if that scholarship was going to be there because of his injury. Um, he is talking with the coaching staff. He says in a couple of weeks he's going to get a surgery. Uh, December 14th, I think he's supposed to get a surgery. It just sounds like to me, and I'm kind of reading between the lines because it was a little vague talking to him. I, I think USC just wants to make sure that it's a meniscus and not necessarily an ACL. Sometimes you don't know exactly what the damage is until you get in there. Um, so they, they kind of, it seems like right now, are cool on him. They kind of put him there on the back burner, and it's like, let's wait and see here what happens. I know they really liked him talent-wise. I mean, I knew that he was one of the guys. I mean, he didn't have any real big offers when they offered him over the spring, and he committed on the spot. So they could have kind of slow-played that recruitment. But, again, as we talked very early in this segment, you know, USC, there's a two-way street that's opened up, and Kelvin York was one of those guys that committed very early and then said, you know, but I'm taking my visits. So, you know, he's going to take his visits, and that scholarship is kind of in limbo right now. He's going to go to Utah, maybe Miami. He doesn't have an official visit set for USC yet, so we're going to see how that goes. But uh, do they go after another guy if they can't get him? I think they might try, and I don't know who that's going to be. <laughs> and, the, and the thing that makes it complicated is that Kelvin York is one of those early enrollees. So that's one of those guys that you can bring in and count towards the last class. doesn't go towards the 15 in this class. So, and, you know, I, I don't know if you just try to get a guy that uh, is just an early enrollee. You certainly, you certainly narrow your prospects down a whole lot when you're just looking for an early enrollee out of the running backs. Um, if they just kind of turn a blind eye to that and go after whoever, I still don't see a ton of prep backs out there that are really SC-level guys, not guys that have interest in USC right now. If they find somebody, it might be somebody that's completely off the radar, which will be exciting. It'll be interesting to see if they actually pluck somebody out that we're really not talking about, that we really don't know about. Um, but, you know, we kind of have to see what's going to happen with Kelvin York first. Okay, and then uh, one other thing he was talking about, uh, you know, Alex McCarthy, considering USC and Oregon, he said, hopefully you enjoyed watching SC deliver the utterly demoralizing first Austin defeat but to Chip Kelly. Uh, what other USC targets with offers are seriously considering at this point Oregon or even UCLA, in parentheses, our next victim? Oh, see, now, see, you're trying to you, – you set me up for failure here with that. Like, rapid fire on that question? Um, who, <laughs> what other recruits are looking at UCLA? Oregon, Cal, and another – nobody's looking at UCLA that USC's really hard on right now. That's 
enough. I could say that much. Uh, Cal, you know, they're still kind of sort of, you know, in the battle with Seymour, um, kind of sort of still in the battle with Ellis McCarthy, but Cal's losing that battle pretty bad right now. So I'd put them kind of almost long shots for Cal at this point. Um, it's really Morgan. So going up there and beating Oregon, that was big. And, and, and you know, Seymour, uh, talk to him. Um, I'll give you a little preview of the article that's going up. Uh, like Oregon, uh, but Oregon's not on top of his list. They didn't make any, you know, real significant moves for him uh, post-visit. Um, again, Ellis McCarthy, we talked about him ad nauseum. I won't go over that again. Uh, but, you know, Ellis obviously looking at Oregon and looking at USC. He's been to Oregon already. Uh, you know, USC beating Oregon. Now they want to follow up with an official visit sometime in January. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of what it's coming down to. Uh, Joe Bowman not looking at Oregon anymore. He's not really too serious about Cal from talking to him. Uh, he's really looking more to Oklahoma. He's going to take a visit, uh, I believe, to Utah as well um, and, and maybe look at some other schools. But uh, he's kind of a USC-Oklahoma guy right now. Um, really not a ton of battles with a lot of these Pac-10 teams right now. And UCLA just them specifically, going back to what I said, not really going against anybody for them. They have to beat USC this weekend in order to get in the race with a lot of these recruits. They, they just are not in, in, the, in the same league right now. <laughs> and, and there's guys like Ellis McCarthy, as I said earlier, that just still have UCLA on their list. But, I mean, they're just kind of there and, and because they're a local school and they're an local option. But, they, but they're not a serious contender unless they can show that they're moving that program forward, that they're doing something. And, you know, Rick Neuheisel talked a lot about progress and how, you know, they're showing progress. And the biggest way to show progress is to beat USC. The biggest way to show progress uh, in the last couple of years is to show that you can beat your rival. And then you take that into the homes of recruits and you say, look at this is what we've done. This is how much closer we've come to being a winning program. So, you know, again, there's a lot of pressure on UCLA in this game, you know, to, to, to win this game because it, it, there's a lot riding on it for them. For USC, not as much. Obviously, you don't want to lose because those kids are not going to look at you and go, well, okay, great, you know, you lost to UCLA. Well, I would definitely want to go to your school now. It doesn't work like that. But at the same time, I think what I got to keep on Seymour He's not going to UCLA just because they beat USC. I just don't see it happening. Um, Ellis McCarthy, I think it would get them back in the conversation with him. Uh, I think he would, you know, maybe look at them a little more seriously, maybe possibly take an official visit to UCLA. Um, you know, with some of those kids, they would kind of get back into the mix a little bit. But right now they're so far removed. Uh, they don't win. They're never they, – they just they probably don't make a hat on the table if you, you know, if you kind of to, to use a little bit of – lingo there with recruiting um so that's that's that i gotta shut up now because it won't be rapid fire if i don't there was nowhere close to rapid fire you answered one semi-automatic fire you answered one question in one word and the rest were normal five minute answers uh you You set me up for failure i told you you had me asking like six names and you give me what do you think about this guy and what he likes about usc and when he's going to visit usc and how many days does he have until he's going to make his decision and Okay. Well, dude, we went, I, I don't know. Hopefully people are still listening because we're at the 58 minute mark right now. Uh, but that's all our questions we had. And thank you. I don't for, think I'm listening anymore. I know. Thank you for all the questions, setting them in. Parastylepodcast.com is where you can listen to it. This has been a Trojan blast. We are not going to do our live Ustream show on Wednesday, day before Thanksgiving. 
So we're going to skip that one. But we did an extra podcast this week, so hopefully you enjoyed that one just on recruiting. And I know Gerard's a popular figure out there for all the recruit Knicks that like to follow what's going on with the team. And Gerard definitely knows what's going on. Thanks again for joining us, Gerard. Yeah, man. Black jerseys. FTW. All right. Black jerseys. We'll see. We'll see what happens on Saturday. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this Trojan Blast edition, recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music